thank you for um, supporting me and Laura in uh, attempting to teach this very old and complicated text. Especially for me, thank you, Kito and Yoko, for helping me clarify so many things, which will never be clear. I was, um, I was considering what the heart of the Senokai I was thinking about today what the heart of the Senokai is in terms of teaching, what it's teaching. <coughs> I was, as I was thinking about the first line, and um, what came to my mind is the heart of the great sage of India is intimately shared between East and West. And it seems to me the word sharing strikes a chord. Sharing because sharing has this interesting way we use it in English. I can share a cookie with you, meaning I give you something. We can share attributes, meaning they stay in their own place, but we still share them. Or we can share from the same fountain. Sharing has this way of recognizing that we're transmitting something and everything is staying in its place at the same time. I think what we're actually realizing is that in this practice over the long term is that there is actually nothing but sharing all the way to the bottom. There is only sharing life. We are only ever in a relationship of sharing. Even if we're feeling extremely selfish and closed off and not realizing it, that's exactly what we're sharing. You don't get to choose. I don't get to choose whether I'm sharing or not. I can tell 10,000 stories about how I'm going to be separate and I'll simply share that separateness. And this is why I think the Buddha's insight into wholesome and unwholesome action becomes so important. Because what we have to choose is not whether we're going to share or not share, but what we're going to share. Are we going to share care? Are we going to share resistance? I mean, all this is fine. Sometimes we'll share resistance. And there's no problem with sharing resistance. The issue about what we share is actually not so much um, on what we share, but recognizing that we are, in fact, sharing it and taking responsibility for that share. That's our path. It's not the idea that I need to cultivate a certain way of sharing and I need to share certain things and not other things because, because if we go down that path, then we will 
go right into the ego mind of separation and start creating a self that needs to be perfected in some way. But we recognize in our way that we are perpetually and always sharing. And so what did I just share? Did I just share something that caused harm or did I just share something that was nourishing? And I think Sikito in this poem does an amazing job of pointing out that sharing is not some sort of false harmony. It's not the pretense of all of us being one. It's not the pretense of that we're all sharing from the same. Sharing is not pretending we are all coming from the same place. <coughs> or eradicating the locations of everyone. But actually the intimacy of sharing, in my experience, increases when we fully recognize that everybody is in a different place. Everybody is situated differently. Everybody is situated with particular histories. At the same time, we are sharing those histories, just from different locations. We are sharing the joy of those histories, we're sharing the pain of those histories. We're sharing our social karma. But I can't know the experience of any other location. And so I can invite these other places within this interconnected universe to share their experience. And in their sharing their experience, I am able to share in it a little bit more. And the universe that I am now sharing in has grown. And I change. And in this interacting, as Sekito tells us, we wade more deeply into each other. Which is, I think, what we do here, which is what we do in retreat, which is what we do in Sishin. We have these locations, they're not very far apart. And we're holding them. We're taking responsibility for, each of us are taking responsibility for our karma. And it's rising up and it's doing what it's doing and we're experiencing it. And we're all sharing in that process. And we're all being affected by everybody else taking responsibility for their karma. And in everybody else taking care of responsibility, for, taking responsibility for their karma and taking care of their karma, 
I suddenly am able to take responsibility and care from of my comment in a way that is deeper, more upright, more clear than it is otherwise sometimes. And then we leave this room and we take care of things and people and each other and ourselves and the water and the place. I think you're going to do something today in the, in the, um, oh, never mind. I don't know what's going to go on. But we'll do that. But in Zen we care for this shared existence. We move in certain ways. We, there is a consciousness to the way we move because we don't want, to the best of our ability, for what we share to be something that rips, that excludes, that clumps around on the earth when she is sharing with us constantly. And so there's a gentleness to the way we talk about being a characteristic that does not come easy to me, but um, has been my training in this tradition. I'm going to read something that Suzuki Roshi wrote. Sometimes Soto Zen is called Memitsu no Kafu. Memitsu no Kafu? Memitsu no Kafu. A very careful and considerate style. Someone, um, Yoko also shared with me, it's too small to show you, but um, a word, Teine, which is the very important in Japanese culture around taking care of things thoroughly one at a time. This might actually sound familiar. Teine. Am I saying it right? Teine. T transliterated as T-E-I-N-E-I, two different characters. A thorough care of everything that we're interacting with. And it, it, it seems to me that this is the, this is, I can understand why Sikito's poem is so important to our tradition. Because when you come to realize um, this almost impossible thing, and it, it's very difficult for the intellect to understand this, but when you pay attention, it's obvious all the time that there is this way that everything is, um, the same tissue of life. And yet, when I die, you don't. And your history can't be uh, 
um, reduced to mine. And so we live a vulnerable independence in that tissue. And so we take care of things, we turn toward it, like we said about the Buddha, like an elephant. We turn toward it completely. Elephants, you notice, walk very gently. Thank goodness. <laughs> you know. But it's an it's a it's an amazing metaphor of, for taking care of ego. Because if I'm that big and I don't walk gently, everything gets crushed. If I just start running the size of an elephant, I crush everything in my way. Now we may have the opposite conditioning. We may be so small, we may make ourselves so small that we allow ourselves to be crushed. We have to work out whatever, but even that has ways of crushing others. So, we've come to recognize that this is the size of ourselves sometimes. Sometimes we're not, we don't show up at all, and when we don't take care and don't take responsibility, sometimes we show up so big that we run all over everything. And so this teme, this way of caring for each thing, this is going to be lifelong for me. Because the interesting thing about sharing is, um, and recognizing the sharingness of all things, is sometimes, I know for me, sometimes it stops here. In other words, experiencing all of existence as sharing and then experiencing myself as something that needs to be used in order to facilitate that. And not experiencing myself necessarily at all times as the same, and I mean internally, as the same deep sharingness without a bottom as the forest is. To actually experience ourselves clearly has nothing but sharing and nothing but the care of sharing and taking care of sharing and taking care of the way everything is shared. If we can come to ourselves with that, then we can come to everyone with that. in a deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper way. And I, I see this here. I mean, this is what's nice about coming to the country in the valley is we can slow down enough to begin to feel this. But even so, we're doing this all the time for each other. We're supporting each other and helping each other constantly. And the difficulty of um, some of our experiences have resulted in a way of seeing that may make it hard to see that sometimes. And there are certainly ways that we're not supporting each other. But there's so many ways that we are, and the, now I'm thinking of Rev, the ceremony of Zen, whereby we have all these roles. And all these roles are just ways that we're caring for the way we're sharing reality. 
That's it. It's another training in how to care from a different position. First, you're going to take on the location of Chibi. How you take care. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily first, but one thing you're going to do is take on Chibi. How are you going to care for our shared reality from that position? How are you going to do it from the position of Jisha or from Anja? Anjas and Jesus have to take care of an incredible amount. Um, and in a way, this is why there is a, um, in a certain way, the way things are set up in Zen practice and Soto Zen is you start off by taking care of little things, a little bit. Take care of the wake-up bell, which is a lot of care because you're waking everyone up. But, um, and how we're caring for ourselves and how we see that care comes across in the way we ring the wake-up bell and people wake up. But then you eventually move into taking care of other people and maybe at some point you're taking care of whole communities. But, um, but it is, and or how I should rephrase that, you're supporting communities and caring for themselves. Um, but it's the same care it's not that the care brings about our shared relationship. It's that the care clarifies our shared relationship. The caring for it is just clarifying that this is actually the way we're always living. Even when it's full of noise and everything else, we are always in this level of relationship with each other. We just get distracted from it, and there's plenty to distract us. But that part actually isn't that it does, it, it's not just that it doesn't change, it actually cannot change. That level, the, the life is naked to itself always. It can't suddenly somehow not be. And so we're that deeply connected in every move that we make. We are moving in the tissue, in this whole and vast tissue of our existence together. And when we care for that long enough, we begin to realize it, that it is the way things are. We kind of, somebody said acting as if or fake it till you make it. There's kind of a, you know, th there is that. I don't, maybe I don't trust that everything is sharing. And so I care for the world as if that is the case. And then suddenly I start to act in certain ways and the world responds to me in a way I didn't notice before. And now I'm starting to have the experience of the way sharing is what's going on. In the beginning, we may not have the capacity to receive that sharing. For very good reasons, usually. And um, we certainly may not have the capacity to align our actions and our giving with that sharing, even though we're sharing anyway. 
but we may not experience that internally. And so there's a, there's a confusion to the sharing. But once we begin to understand how to fully receive it, we can fully receive it even from those who have no idea how to give it. This is what it is to give and receive Buddha. is no um this is this is the sharing of the transmission of the heart of the buddha is that everybody is to talk to garba everybody is buddha nature there is no one who is not whether they know it or not is not really relevant might be relevant to their actions and attitudes but not to that but if we cannot receive the sharing interconnectedness of everything that is, it is very difficult to receive Buddha from the people who do not know their Buddha. It's really easy to receive it from the people who know that. Well, that's not necessarily true. Sometimes we're so clouded that the people who know their Buddha, we want them to stay away because they're just too strong of a mirror to the stuff we don't want to see. So there's that. I can't receive it. You can give it. Ugh. And then there's the other way around, though, which is I can receive it. You can't give it. And that's okay. Then there's I can receive it. You can give it. I can give it back and you can receive it. And that's really great. <laughs> our zazen practice is really simply looking at when we don't experience this for and of ourselves so when I said the other night it doesn't really matter what's going on in zazen what I mean by it doesn't really matter what's going on in zazen is once you've decided to take responsibility for your mind and your heart and your actions and your karma, which there's no zazen without that. You're just sitting on a seat. Zazen starts when you start to inch into taking care of and taking responsibility for your karma. And so even if you spend, a, if you spend an entire half hour believing every thought that comes up in your head and then you stand up and say I just spent a half hour believing every thought that went on in my head you just took responsibility for your karma <laughs> so that's fine and you're just experiencing the output of a process that is infinitely bigger than any of us. The mystery that sharing everything beneath and around us is working on us. We have this idea that we're sitting down so that I can do my work. No, you're sitting down 
intending to take responsibility. And in the intention to take responsibility, you invite the entire mystery to work on you. But there has to be an, inv there has to be an invitation to the mystery. Mystery doesn't come. Mystery can't come until there's an invitation. And the taking of the responsibility is the invitation to life. The invitation of life to come to you and the invitation of you into life. When this is fully understood, and by fully understood, that doesn't mean always present. But when it's understood that everything is sharing, This is what we call the bodhicitta turn. This is when bodhicitta comes alive. Because once that's realized, even if it's realized and we're not always acting on it, which is usually the case, we want everybody to realize it. We want everybody, there's just, it just comes up. It's not that somebody asked, is it, what is intention like that's non-egoic? This is a non-egoic intention. This just suddenly comes with the realization. It's not like, oh, I had the realization, now i got to work out some time before. If it's fully realized that this is the nature of life, it is impossible not to want everyone else there. Because in the realization of the sharing, everybody else is already there. So you're sitting there in a world going, everybody's here, and nobody knows they're here. And so you want to go and tap everybody on the shoulder and say, you're here. You're actually here. But for a while in practice, we do it for ourselves we think we're doing it for ourselves and we have to do it for ourselves because we have to come to realize the sacred being that is sitting here and the way that sacred sacred being is realized is by realizing that they are sharing in all of life. Not just the narrative of the life that has been built that defines who they think they are. But all of it. And once it's all of it, then the resources are kind of immense. All of it is a lot of resources. You know, suddenly, when anger comes up, there's a whole lot there to deal with that anger now. There's not just some other tiny little line of who I think I am to deal with the anger. In fact, I don't have to do anything, actually. I just confess the anger, say I don't want to do it again, and give it over to Mother Earth and life. Just give it over. I don't have to twist and manipulate and all of that. I just have to say it's, there it is. And hand it over to something that is um, 
what I have always been. But then, of course, stuff happens. We get angry. We forget to have gratitude. I certainly get angry and forget to have gratitude. It's always so humbling at the end of not having gratitude, realizing that I had no gratitude. for the entirety of existence. But this is where that care comes in. In those moments, same thing. It's not just about taking care of the altar by putting things down with two hands. You notice we carry everything with two hands. This is a part of the tene notion, right? You turn towards something, you pick it up with two hands. You don't like grab and stack things and do you know if you have seven things you put them in a tray and you carry it carefully with two hands and you turn yourself completely with it and this is training the body to do that actually with each other how do I turn fully to a person and take care of them with two hands When that anger and lack of gratitude comes up, how do I turn toward that and take care of it with two hands? The body has to learn how to do it. So when there's this question about ritual and why we do a ritual and why we do all of this, there is, it is not enough, in my experience, to think I know how to deal with these things. I have a good strategy. I thought about it. I do A, B, C, and D. <laughs> and then suddenly I get angry and that whole strategy falls apart, right? And because the mind is now taken over. The intellect is taken over by a story. It's the body that has to turn toward it. The whole of the body. The body has to be trained. The body has to needs to know how to experience the arising of a mind that forgets that it's here. It forgets its place in the wholeness of everything. Because the body actually knows it's here. It doesn't forget. We just forget the body. The body can't forget. It bumps into things. It's very clear. <laughs> but, um, but we forget the body. And we certainly forget to listen to the body. And in more and more in our time, is it noon? More and more in our time, we are forgetting to spiritually train the body. In fact, that even seems like some weird old thing you do in second century Greece or something. Um, but... Uh, it is the only way that I have experienced deeply, that it deeply works. I was thinking that when I came to this practice, I had no confidence. I was trained to have no confidence. I was trained to doubt everything about myself. That was my training. 
every single I mean to be able to say that this is true every single bit of confidence that exists now is because of this every shred and only because Zen returned me to life Zen was the pathway back to an existence and a being that was before the arising of any of the karma that made the person who came to Zen practice. And I think that's what we're doing on a cushion. We are remembering, we are clearing the cobwebs so that we can remember and see back into a time before the karma ever arose. Because that time is actually ever present. That time is never touched. scanning the lines and I was thinking um, about that realization and the line the four elements return to their natures just as a child turns to its mother what a lovely <coughs> description of what happens we're just turning As children of the earth, I think we need to be able, we need to know that we can turn back. We forget. And we think there's nowhere to turn. Somehow we're on our own. It is the realization that we can, I believe to my marrow, is the realization that we can turn back. And share in the wholeness of this life that is going to save us as a species. That is what has to happen. Everything else is a lie. Just a lie. This is where we are. This is our mother. So as we sit. 
Take complete refuge in Buddha. Let's take complete refuge in the Dharma. Let's take complete refuge in the Sangha. And let's take complete refuge in the earth. Complete and total. She is what we are. And whatever is going on in the fiery or joyful pits of the mind of Zazen, it's nothing that can't be handed over to her. Nothing. She is the strength that runs through us all. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.